Welcome to a special edition of This Week in Montgomery County Politics, and I am pleased to have as a guest today, Melanie Bush. Welcome, Melanie. Hi. How are you, Bill? I am good. Good. So, I have a few questions. Okay. Um, but before I get into that, there are some people that maybe were, were living under a rock during the last <laughs> six months or two years. Uh, so, closer to two years, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would know. Wouldn't you? <laughs> yes. So Melanie is a uh, an entrepreneur, a very yes. successful small business person. Uh, you were until November mm-hmm. the board chair of the Conroe Independent School District. Yes, November sixteenth, we swore in our new board members, and I rolled off. So that that's and, official. And you're now on a, a slight vacation. <laughs> Um, getting ready to be transition, the... not vacation. Transition. A transition. Ah, okay. Because there has not been a day of vacation <laughs> yet. But with Christmas coming, we'll have a couple of days. Because you are the treasurer elect Correct. of Montgomery County, Texas. Correct. So, tell me, uh, when did you decide to get started in politics and and uh, oh. that kind of stuff? Um, I've, okay, so politics has been something I've always loved. Um, at eight years old, I was arguing about, um, George Bush versus Michael Dukakis. Uh, my mom had married a, a very liberal atheist. And so we're walking around at Halloween arguing about this, this race. So I just gave away my age there, but, um, it's something that always interested me. But one of the things he told me then was, well, you just think that because, you know, your dad's a conservative, your mom's a conservative, because they like Bush, you like him. And it got me at eight digging into the issues and really figuring out why I enjoyed politics. And so um, it's always been a part of my life. You know, I, I hate to admit this on, on camera, but I actually have a, a liberal daughter. I have one arch-conservative daughter and okay. one liberal daughter and a, a grandson who is becoming a conservative, much to his mother's dismay. <laughs> uh, I just spent a week up there uh, babysitting, babysitting slash indoctrinating uh, the grandkids into uh See, that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, it's just it's been something that's always been ingrained in my, my life. And when she married him, honestly, Bill... It solidified so much of my faith and my political leanings because he questioned me on my Christianity. He questioned me on my political views pretty much daily. I mean, regular conversation. And when you grow up in that environment, you really have to know what you believe and why. Absolutely. it's, It's easy to believe it. Quietly, yes. But when somebody who is going to challenge you wants you to discuss why, then you really have to know what you're talking about. Well, and especially as a kid, I mean, having growing up in that environment, and when I say liberal, I mean like socialist leaning liberal. Um, and so, uh, his parents were immigrants from Nazi Germany, and so he he still had a lot of that socialistic mm-hmm. background in him, and it, it really just grew me as a person to have to deal with that. Very interesting. Yeah. So, obviously you've been involved in politics from a very young age. When did you decide that you wanted to actually get active and run for office? Was CISD your your first uh, attempt? So I was on Alden Bridge Village Board, which I, I have a hard time considering that 
much of an election because you're lucky if 20 people go out and vote for the village associations and yet that's a seems to be a step for a lot of people is to get involved in those local races that nobody even knows about here in the woodlands um, so I did that, but then in 2012, I really wanted to run for CISD. Um, Ann Snyder and Linda um, Sasser were both stepping down, and I thought that was a great opportunity, and yet at the time I had a four-year-old, and Alan said, mm, no, it's not the right time. <laughs> and, and my business was taking off absolutely gangbusters, and, and Alan was right in saying, no, this isn't the right time. And so I, I waited, and in 2014, um, Mel Brown and um, C.J. Haynes were stepping down, and so I went to my husband, like I do with everything, and said, okay, I really want to do this. And he said, okay, now's good. We can do this now. now and so that was my first one. For, forgive me for my lack of knowledge on this particular topic. Do you run for the Board yes. chairperson. No, no, that is an you internal decision. You just run decision. for the board. You run for the board, so there's seven uh, positions for CISD, and you run. Each position is at large, represents the entire district, 348 square miles. And then internally, your very first board meeting, you sit down as a group in executive session and decide who are going to be what officer positions. So how many conservatives were on the board besides you? Um, I would say at that point, strong conservatives, four. Really? Moderate, right-leaning, one, and two liberals. And so, so I that did, explains and, how you got to be the Well, and I wasn't, I wasn't president uh, right then. So I, I got on the board and I was secretary for my first two years. It was when we reorged in 16 when we had the next set of elections that I became president. Now, And at that point, we actually lost a liberal and got another you know, right-leaning individual. Wow. So, so is, is, would you characterize the makeup of the board, the new board, that way? Uh, yes, I would. Uh, I would say there's two that are more middle of the road, but right lean, and then uh, one very strong liberal, and then the rest are in the conservative Republican category. Lately, the the uh, big clip that, that I put out of mm -hmm. you with the board was your uh, your attempt to Hurricane get them to reappraise. Uh, re yes. And and you they they took the Robert's rules of order and slapped <laughs> out you the door. Down. Um, they took them out the door is what they did. Um, no, it was it was very interesting. There was a lot of fear, I think, on um, several board members' parts, and I think even administration's part of the unknown. That was not something that had ever been done, and there was no other school districts at that point in time that were doing it. And one of the things that you know was said to me uh, individually prior to was that, well, what you know, we're the only one. Why don't we wait and see? And I said, you know, we need. They, the argument was that they needed to wait and see what other districts were going to do. And my argument to them was, no, we're one of the largest districts in this state. We are one of the largest districts that was affected by Harvey. We need to be leading. And that's what CISD needs to be, is out front, leading. Other districts in this county and in this area look to what CISD is doing because 
of their fiscal responsibility and all that. Well, this just plays into that. So, my next question was yes. going to be about fiscal responsibility. Okay. S- sitting here as a as a taxpayer, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I get my my tax bill and I look at it, and CISD is right up there at over fifty percent of, of my tax bill. Um, so what I hear you saying is that that even attempting to put conservative principles to CISD, that it's still costing us more than half of our appraised value taxes. Yes, and, and to that point, if you don't mind, I would like to share a couple of numbers of other districts nearby. Um, I mean, because I hear that a lot, and it, it's true. School taxes in general take up over 50% of your taxes, but um, CISD is at 1.28, which we've been there for the entire four years I've been on the board. We have not increased. Yes, appraisals have increased, which have actually enabled us to keep the rate the same. Um, New Caney ISD is at 1.6, so it would be an even larger ch- chunk of your taxes. Um, Willis is at 1.39. Montgomery is at 1.3795. And Montgomery is at 1.37. So, you know, yes... It is a large percentage of our taxes, and that's because you're educating students, and it's a lot different. Um, I've tried to find a, an adequate comparison. In comparing county services or township services to a school district, there really is no comparison. Um, you really got to look at you know school district to school district because it's incredibly different. But if, but, you, if, if you look at it on, on a private school, slash homeschool per child expenditure basis, Mm -hmm. there are a lot of places that educate children for a lot less money. Well, and I don't know, I mean, like private school, I haven't looked into that a whole lot. I know the tuition at certain private schools is a whole lot more than the per school cost. No doubt. To raise, you know, I I know that our, our rate for her student cost is in the 7000 range, and I know a lot of the local private schools are a lot more than that on an annual basis. But if you look, I was reading an article today, and, yeah. and I'm sorry, no. I, don't, I don't have the, I didn't remember, <laughs> didn't remember what right-wing blog I was looking at at the time, but they were talking about the, the per cost per, or the cost per student in mm-hmm. the EU countries, for mm-hmm. example, and what they spend, and, and it's about half of what we spend. And I would be interested, and in, in this is where I, I don't know a whole lot. I know a lot of our charter schools and a lot of our private schools don't take um, certain, what I would consider, harder to educate students. Yes, that's, and so that's, that's one that's of the first a, things they talk about. That's a lot of our cost, and, and I know that. Um, you, you have a different allocation for even a dyslexic student, and I have a dyslexic child. The, the state funding model is incredibly complex, which I think needs to be simplified. There is no way anyone can go in and just look at the model and know exactly how much money per student you're getting as a school district because it's 2.12 for this student and 3 point, you know, and it's all weighted and it's weighted on average daily attendance. So it's not weighted even on how many students are registered or how many. It's weighted on this average of how many actually attend on a daily basis for the entire year. It's also paid a year in the rears. So your average daily attendance for 2016 is determining what you're getting for your 18 school year. And so it's just this 
this model that is this nebulous complex thing. I spent the first two years just trying to fully get my hands around this because it's so complex. Do you think they do it that way on purpose? Oh, yes. I think <laughs> so the legislature does it that way on purpose, without a doubt. I had, <laughs> I had the wonderful opportunity a couple of weeks ago. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know whether you, you knew it was going on, but the Texas Senate... Uh, Brandon Creighton and I watched um, them. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh you watched. I it? watched it. Did I you was, watch my version. Yes. Oh, <laughs> all right. And and I wasn't was, able to attend, but I was watching. Well, so. and there was there was times that I felt like I was C-SPAN. You know. Oh I, yeah. I'd look down and I'd go, Wow, nobody's watching. You know, but but <laughs> I, I knew that people would would watch later, yeah. and that was eye-opening to me. Uh, because of the complexity. And, and they said, you know, when they were just talking about appraised values and stuff, mm -hmm. they, they got up there and said, now, you think it's just appraised value, but I'm uh -uh, not so fast. And then they showed this worksheet that you mm -hmm. had to do to, to come up with your, your, I mean, I realize that most of them are lawyers, but they have to make everything so complicated. Well, and, and, and that's, I think part of it is we get these special interests, we get everybody championing their issues. Um, when the last session was up, House Bill 21 was um, big for totally redoing the school finance. And I went and actually argued on one point of it. Majority of it I kind of agreed with. It simplified a lot more. But one point of it I disagreed with. And that was how they did the transportation allocation. So that's a part of the funding model as well. So it's not just on your, your student enrollment, but you tend to get a certain amount of money based on transportation. Well, they were changing that transportation to based on weighted average daily attendance rather than based on miles driven or ridership. And so you had and districts. And the things that count. Exactly. <laughs> so you had districts like ours that we're, we're very geographically large. Big. 348 square miles is a big distance to cover. Um, and I don't remember how many millions of miles we drive per year, but it's outrageous the number of miles. We were going to lose $7 million in transportation funding had that section of the bill gone through. Whereas Klein ISD, that is a very geographically small district, therefore they don't have near as much ridership or near as many miles, buses, etc., was going to gain two or three million dollars that they did not need for transportation, that they'd be putting towards something else. And so that's something that I think that the model needs to look at. It's not looking at it doesn't even look at the schools being able to have the flexibility to do what they need to do on a local basis. They say, oh, here's your transportation dollars, and that's what you can spend those on. Are, are you in favor, just on a general overview, mm -hmm. uh, about going to a consumption tax versus a property value tax? In a general, yes, without a doubt. How that looks? Oh yes, yeah. We spent four hours talking about how that looks. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a totally different thing. I mean, it, depending upon the proposal, I might not be in favor of it. It just depends on what they end up doing with it. But in a general sense, without a doubt, are superintendents really worth over three hundred thousand dollars? I think it depends on the superintendent. I think it depends on the district. And 
that is a very loaded question. Well, because it was meant to be. And, 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 I, and I understand that. And thankfully, I anticipated something <laughs> along those lines. And also brought numbers to, to show that. So looking at those same districts that we talked about earlier, um, Connor ISD's current superintendent makes $318,000. Um, New Caney makes three hundred and twelve six forty five. Willis um, two hundred and fifty one five hundred two hundred and thirty six thousand for Magnolia and two thirty four for Montgomery. But I want to point something out: student enrollment. Conroe ISD has sixty three thousand students. New Caney, that's making just under six thousand dollars less, has only fifteen thousand students. That's a lot different. And yet the pay is pretty close to the same. Okay, so let, let me ask no. the question in a different yeah. way, okay? And, and this was a lot of what was being talked about for the county government. Right. If you went out and did a, a study in the private sector. Work, private sector, right? would that job with its employees and responsibilities and everything be a 300,000 CISD? For Connor ISD, yes. Okay. It would. We have almost 8,000 employees. So if you compare that to a comparable business, yes. Yeah. And and honestly, probably low compared to a private sector with 8,000 employees. We're going to move on. <laughs> but, but before we do, yes. one last chance. Anything else you'd like to say or comment about the um, CISD and the school districts in general? In general, people need to remember public education is meant to educate as many students as possible. It is not a district or any public education doesn't always fit every student. There are certain things that in all areas we can do better. And so one of the advantages of a larger district, and this is something that I've found in CISD, is that we can have those special programs. A lot of people don't realize we have an academic alternative high school. So for those students that are struggling to complete, not based on behavioral issues, but based on they need smaller class sizes, they need alternative programs, we have that ability. When you have a small district, and, and I'll pick you know somewhere out in rural West Texas, they're not able to offer the diversity that Connor ISD is. And so that's one of the things, our AutoCAD programs, mechanic programs, not every kid is supposed to go to college. And in our yeah. area, <laughs> in our area, especially here in South County, Parents need to realize that, that not every kid is designed to go to college right out of high school or even maybe at all. We have a lot of students that graduate with our welding certificates and our mechanic certificates and our HVAC and our cosmetology that are making $60,000 right out of high school. And some of our welders are making closer to $100,000 right out of high school with, certif with, with no a certificate debt. with, with no, no debt. debt and that's a huge thing parents need to recognize that and as a society we need to recognize that one of the things that i i hate seeing is we look down on as a society our mechanics and our ac guys and we don't treat them as a general society we don't treat them the same as we do as ceo and there's a problem you don't want that CEO working on your car or working on your AC. And so we as a society have to do better about realizing that these people are just as valuable, if not more so, than our college graduates. We need more 
well-trained, motivated people exactly. doing auto mechanics and welding than we do people with degrees in history that end up working at a help desk, you know, or saying, end up moving back home. This is Amazon. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. so that's that's something that and have a sixty thousand dollar debt on top of it. Exactly. That and that's. I love the dual credit programs that we're able to offer. And like I said, rural West Texas, they can't offer that. They don't have a community college nearby. Our partnership with Lone Star and dual credit and AP, mm -hmm. that is a wonderful thing. But the certificate programs that we have, a lot of people underestimate and undervalue that you can graduate with a full, just like you would at Aveda, cosmetology certificate for $600 or 800 one of the I can't remember it's right in there as opposed to Aveda Institute 60,000 yeah, yeah and they're able to go work at 18 yeah that's an awesome thing that's so great. that's that's one of the things over my four years that I really have focused on in well, JP I'd like to thank you for all your work on the CISD I, I know it's uh, uh, a lot of work and uh, Zero pay, right? Zero pay. <laughs> <laughs>